0: Hi, I'm Rick Steves. We're packing for palm trees and snowballs in the hour ahead on Travel with Rick Steves. First off, it's the Caribbean. Did you ever wonder what happened to British Honduras? Well, since 1981, it's been Belize. It's a humble yet proud little land where politicians claim they know every family, where people talk like Bob Marley, and where snorkelers from around the world consider this a mecca for underwater adventures. Joshua Berman, who wrote the Moon Handbook to Belize, joins us in a few minutes as he returns from updating his guidebook while honeymooning in that Caribbean paradise. Then we head for Italy. Donald White, a tour guide friend of mine, was raised in Scotland. But as many travelers do, he moves around a lot. Don now lives near Lake Como in northern Italy, and he's dropping by to share his favorite ways to have fun year-round high in the Alps. Come along from the scalps of the Alps to the jungles of Belize, as together we're travel partners on Travel with Rick Steves. Travel with Rick Steves is brought to you by American Airlines. With their new Advantage Award booking tool, it's easier than ever to book to over 800 Advantage Award destinations online at AA.com. American Airlines knows why you fly. Variety and contrasts carbonate your travels, and we've got exactly that as we go from palm trees in the Caribbean to snowballs high in the Alps on today's travel with Rick Steves. We're exploring the tiny tropical country of Belize, and we're skiing in Switzerland in the hour ahead. But let's get started with your calls at 877-333-RICK or email me at radio at ricksteves.com. We've got Sandy on the line in Madison, Wisconsin. Sandy, thanks for your call.
1: Thank you for listening.
0: How? Where have you been traveling lately?
1: I recently returned from Jordan, and what I was surprised about is what a wonderful experience it was, and how different it was from my travels through Egypt a few years ago.
0: Huh? I would assume uh, different Middle Eastern Arabic countries and so on would all be pretty much the same. How is it different?
1: It's it's very different. It's uh, since there are uh, is more wealth in the country, I found it to be much cleaner. There aren't people that are trying to sell you things at every turn. Um, the food was wonderful. The accommodations were wonderful, and the sites were not crowded.
0: Yeah, now I remember when I was in Egypt, it was like intense down right. in Luxor at Amit Mutkansu and uh, Queen Hatshepsut's monument. It just they wait for you to ambush you after you get out of the ancient sites.
1: <laughs> exactly, and we didn't have that experience at all at Petra or Jerash or at the Dead Sea resort. Oh, so Petra!
0: Just... I'm so I'd love to go to Petra. Tell <laughs> us what Petra is like. That's high on my list.
1: It was. It was like nothing I could even imagine. Um, I had seen Indiana Jones and uh, didn't really know what to expect. It's just a, such an incredible place. It's just breathtaking, well, now, and it's very large. T-
0: pretend you're a travel writer. Now write a little paragraph on Petra because uh, paint a picture. What is it like to go to Petra? What is it?
1: Petra is an ancient site where there are buildings that are carved directly out of the cliffs, and the cliffs are these beautiful hues of red and orange and you go through a very narrow, tall canyon. It's a three-kilometer hike down into the area, and the first thing you see is this Treasury Building that is just awesome. It's it's just the scale is so large. Now, does it go
0: all the way back to ancient times? How old is it?
1: You know, I don't know but the answer. But just to that gen- generally,
0: it's it's older than medieval. I mean, it goes yes, back it to a- biblical times or something like this. Yes. Yeah. Now, when you were in in uh, Jordan, did you find that uh, when I was in Jordan? I was with a girlfriend, this was a long time ago, and uh, there was actually a policeman following us to disperse the crowds. We were such a scene walking through these two American kids, walking through the streets, you know. Um, now, is is it pretty common place to have uh, Europeans and Americans uh, wandering around Jordan, or did you feel like there was a lot of eyes on you?
1: I think it's pretty common, especially um, northern, Euro- northern Europeans travel there quite a bit, and uh, we did notice quite a few Russian people that are traveling there, so hmm. we were not... Uh, we didn't attract a lot of attention.
0: Jordan. You know, people don't even think about going to Jordan. I mean, That's right. was, there, was there tension because of Iraq and so on?
1: Uh, not that I felt. In fact, I felt less tension there than in Egypt. Um, the people generally said that they understood, they, they liked Americans, they weren't thrilled with everything our government did, but their king was pro-Western, so mm-hmm. they were too.
0: So briefly, uh, um, Sandy, what about uh, visas, health, expense? What's it like?
1: Uh the visa can be purchased easily at the Amman airport. It's relatively inexpensive. I think it was $20. As far as health goes, uh we didn't have to have any special shots or anything before we went. We just had to be up-to-date up on our regular vaccines. Expensive? Uh yeah, relatively so. It's uh not that much cheaper than here. So you'd
0: expect European prices for hotels and restaurant meals and so on. Exactly. And what was your favorite food?
1: Um I liked the mixed grill. It's very nice.
0: The mixed grill. Yeah. A lot of meat.
1: A lot of meat, but uh, the uh, mezzas, the appetizers, were just fantastic.
0: All right. Hey, well, Sandy, thank you so much for your call, and I think we'll have to uh, consider Jordan on some of our next trips. Thank you. Happy travels. we got Paula on the line from St. Simon's Island in Georgia. Hi, Paula.
2: Hi, Rick. How are you today?
0: I'm great. Thanks for calling. Thank you. St. Simon's Island. Am I saying that right?
2: Yes, you are. Is that I got it's a beautiful a, place to visit uh, as well as the rest of the world? I
0: bet. Tell us a little bit about St. Simon's Island.
2: Uh, St. Simon's is an island off the coast of Georgia, about um, an hour south of Savannah, an hour north of Jacksonville. And the island's the same size as Manhattan, huh. but has only 13,000 people living on it.
3: A few less
0: people. Just a few. Do you have a lot of tourism there? Yes, we do. I bet. A lot of waves when it's stormy?
2: No, we really <laughs> are the westernmost point on the east coast, so we don't get bad storms. Oh,
0: that's nice. Hey, what do you, what is your question about travel here, Paula? I'd like
2: to talk about packing a little bit. Mm-hmm. I'm a good Rick Steves type packer for a summertime trip. Mm-hmm. Now I've just recently retired and am able to travel in other times of the year, and I'm not so good at wintertime packing.
0: How do you handle
2: all those heavy clothes?
0: Yeah, that's a good a good point. I've done more winter traveling in the last five or six years than ever before. My wife and I take a winter break every winter in Europe. I'll tell you, when you go to Europe, even in uh, like Italy, you should be packing like you're skiing, really, because it can be bitter cold and. It's you know it can be bitter cold at home, but you're going from your car to your house or your car to your work or something. But in Europe, you want to be outdoors. Your guides, when you have a guide, they're ready to be outdoors all day long. They got their mittens and hats and so on, and you need to also. So you want to. Br- I've found heavy shoes are really important. And for the first time, I just shot a, a Christmas special on public television this last Christmas, and we had. Um, I was out a lot, and I, I bought clothes for the trip, and I was very happy with my high top. Um, walking shoes instead of my low-top walking shoe. They were the same kind of shoe, but I just got the high-top version, and that was very, very nice. Um, I had a big, not a down ski coat, but I had a big, like, uh, wool overcoat, and it was great because I felt like a European, I dressed like a European. I I guess I'm talking for men traveling in the winter here. One thing that applies to men and women is mittens and hats and long underwear and heavy shoes. That's Now, but you can still
2: We're talking about a bigger suitcase now, huh?
0: No, because you're wearing it. When you're wearing your heavy gear, you got one sweater, one heavy coat, and your um heavy shoes you're wearing them. So there's not a tremendous. Of course there's a little difference, but it's not a radical difference in how much you're packing. Well, that's true. Yeah, so um it's not that bad, but boy I would say, don't think Italy is sunny and warm. Italy is sunny and cold in Mm. the winter, you see. But it's a beautiful time to travel. Things are less expensive. The locals are more welcoming to the tourist. I think.
2: Certainly, airfares are cheaper.
0: Airfares are cheaper. Things are more relaxed. And, you know, a lot of the high culture is in full swing. And that's one thing to keep in mind. In the summer, you can go to the plays and the concerts pretty casual. But in the winter, the locals retake the uh, high culture venues, and you'll be glad you had some um, snazzier clothes to wear. Wear that nice black dress. Huh? That's right. Hey, uh, Paula, thank you for your call. You're welcome. And thank good you. luck in your winter travels.
2: Thank you. Bye-bye.
0: Bye. I'm Rick Steves, and this is Travel with Rick Steves. Right now, we're going to Belize formerly British Honduras, tiny little country tucked just south of the Yucatan in Central America, and I've got with me a man who has spent a good part of the last seven years living and working and traveling throughout Central America. He writes guidebooks to Belize and Nicaragua, and uh, Joshua Berman writes the Moon Guidebook to uh, Belize, and Joshua just spent four months last year in, uh, in Belize, and he just got back a couple days ago from his honeymoon in Belize. So Joshua, great to have you with us.
4: Thanks, Rick. It's good to be here.
0: Yeah, wow. Four months in Belize. How big is Belize and how many people there?
4: Well, it's, uh, it's a pretty small country uh, in the area. It's, it's less than 9,000 square miles, which is about the size of Massachusetts. And only about a quarter million people live there, which you could probably fit in a couple of football stadiums in North America.
0: I remember when I was in Belize, there was a political campaign going on, and, and the way people advertised for their political uh, candidacy was on the back of a pickup truck with a blowhorn. Uh, and uh, the leading candidates uh, claimed that they knew every family in the country.
4: It's, it's possible.
0: <laughs> it was a cute little country. It was a cute and poor little country. I mean, I remember they didn't... Maybe this has changed now, but... They said their national artifacts were in Canada because they didn't have enough money to build a national museum yet. Mm -hmm. And uh, it it was the humble kind of place where you'd watch TV and it was uh, basically hacked from Chicago and they would have uh, commercials uh, sloppily edited in and and so on. But such a funky, fun, little friendly place that is so misunderstood um, just a little bit, uh, well, from the United States. And and what a wonderful place to travel in.
4: It sure is, yeah.
0: How did you come to be uh, so enamored by Belize?
4: Uh, well, it happened after I wrote my first guidebook, uh, which was the first edition to Nicaragua. Uh, I was asked to, to go to Belize, and I gladly did so, and I was, was, fortunately had had all that time to spend there. Uh, so I had the time where my job was to uh, just travel to as many corners of the country as I could and, and find out as much as I could about the country. And I tell you, I was really surprised. I, I, I really didn't expect there to be so much jam-packed into such a tiny country. So it ended up being a, uh, a lot more work than I than I planned for. Yeah.
0: I, four months in a little country the size of Massachusetts with a population about, uh, I don't know, a quarter of a million. That seems like you could cover it pretty well in four months. Did you spend most of your time on the mainland or out in the uh, islands where everybody snorkels?
4: Uh, I, I made it to both. I spent probably the first three months actually, actually traveling uh, around the country and, and popping out to the different islands. A lot of the, the different groups of islands and the different atolls have different access points, so you kind of have to work your way up and down the, the main coast hmm. in order to access some of those different islands.
0: Now, now the tourism, Joshua, is basically uh, fancy tourists from the rich north jetting down to snorkel out in the islands, right, or a few adventurers exploring the interior. How, how do you characterize tourism in Belize?
1: Well, it
4: started, it used to be it was just pretty much... Uh, the backpackers doing the, doing the Central America backpacker thing and a handful of divers who had discovered this the largest reef in both the northern and western hemisphere. Uh, and, and tourism started to, to build around that. And, yeah, in the last five years or so, it really has gotten into the upscale market, and that's, that's a huge part of it now. But you still get a mix. You still get in the more budget-oriented area. You still have the backpackers poking in mm-hmm. uh, in their travels and then you've got this huge range of accommodations for, for the upscale market.
0: Now, you just got back uh, from your honeymoon, right? <laughs> right? I sure did. And uh, was it a good place to honeymoon? What'd you do?
4: Oh, it was, it was amazing. Uh, luckily, my wife, Sute, and I are, are both have the same, the same ideas about just we, we can't get enough of the place where we are. So we moved around quite a bit. We did We made kind of a squiggly plus sign through the country. Uh, we started up in the mountains, the Mountain Pine Ridge, where we had a waterfall to ourselves and swimming holes. Uh, we went out to the islands, did the whole snorkeling, diving, sailing, sitting around. Uh, and then we even had, at one point, we actually had an island all to ourselves where we got dropped off on our own little desert island and had a little cottage there with a stocked fridge and, and got left alone there. Wow. So it, it's amazing that the the possibilities.
0: Were you exploring or were you just revisiting places you already knew about from your guidebook?
4: A little of both, little of both. Uh-huh. Uh, I had, you know, obviously in those four months I, I made some friends around the country, so I wanted to show off my new wife to them, so we, we said hi. And...
0: Good for you. I'm talking with Joshua Berman, who writes the Moon Guide, or the Moon Handbook, to Belize. More about Belize from Joshua Berman, plus your calls. One man story of making a home base in northern Italy so he can be a ski bum in the Alps. It's just ahead as we travel with Rick Steves. One love. Travel with Rick Steves is brought to you by American Airlines, with 4,000 flights to 250 cities in some 40 countries around the world every day. It's easy to book your next flight at AA.com. American Airlines knows why you fly.
3: I'm Touraj. Let's travel with Rick Steves. 8 Bar Rick Steves, Konim. And this is Farsi for Let's Travel with Rick Steves.
0: 877-333-RICK. This is Travel with Rick Steves. And we're visiting with Joshua Berman, author of The Moon Handbook to Belize. Hey, Joshua, when you're thinking about Belize, I'm, you know, the Belize city, the the main city is like, what, 50,000 people or something.
4: Yeah, about 50,000, 60,000 people.
0: And uh, the culture is, it feels more Caribbean to me, uh, more black, more English-speaking, Pigeon English. How does the the culture, the ethnicity, and so on compare to Guatemala and Honduras and Nicaragua nearby?
4: It definitely has an identity crisis, uh, whether it's part of the Caribbean or Latin America. And depending on where you are in the country, it it can feel a little skewed toward one or the other. Uh, Amazingly, English is spoken throughout the entire country. Uh, Amongst themselves, they speak what they call Creole uh, which which is, yeah, kind of similar to what we would think of what they speak in Jamaica. Uh,
0: is that Pigeon English, what we call pidgin English?
4: Yeah, yeah, exactly. I
0: You know, one of my favorite souvenirs from Belize is bringing back a newspaper, and things are actually printed in Pigeon English. Um, you have a sign in your book that says, No detox politics or religion in a disbar. Yeah, yeah. Tell me some other uh, examples of Pigeon English.
4: One one good expression which, which fits in with one of the things you have to adapt to there is uh Time Time's longer than the rope, which, which means time is longer than any length of rope, which means there's no, no reason to rush.
0: Wow. And if you are trying to rush, you're probably uh, spinning your wheels and making yourself miserable in a country like this. Oh, yeah.
2: So yeah, you've got to definitely... get on
0: the local timescale.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: Wow. Now, when you're there for four months, do you actually pick up the language and start saying, No, detox politik en <laughs> Mm-hmm. A little
4: bit, a little bit. Luckily, a lot of the population, you know, over 50% of the population, is mestizo and bilingual in Spanish, which I speak. Uh, so, you know, I could always practice my Spanish, and I, I tried to pick up some Creole as well.
0: Hey, uh, tell me about the reggae scene and the Rastafarian scene there. I was, I was struck by uh, how strong that was.
4: Yeah, it is. Bob Marley is definitely king in a lot of, the, a lot of the places you visit there. Uh, there are. There definitely are some true rastas there, and there are some that just you know adopt parts of the culture.
0: Just uh, like I mean, it's actually a religion for a lot of people.
4: It is, yeah, and that's yeah. not
0: just an excuse to smoke marijuana. Exactly, they really believe this uh, Bob Marley reggae "One Love" thing. I mean, I, I heard—is th- that how you greet people? One love.
4: Some of them do it. They they bump their fists and they pu- they put their fists to their heart and they say "One Love, man," and, uh, and huh. they, you know, they listen to a lot of reggae and Punta Rock, and
0: and it's a religion. It's a, it's actually a genuine thing
4: it is it's not so much the religion part of it isn't so much followed in beliefs there definitely are some some devotees to it uh but it isn't it isn't like in, in like it isn't your makeup but you do have those there are a lot of people in dreadlocks listening to a lot of yeah uh, a lot of the reggae
0: a lot of people in dreadlocks and I noticed a lot of women in curlers as if that was sort of uh, fashionable or something
4: yeah there's there's all kinds
0: you know do you know what I mean women with uh, like what we think of as old nineteen fifties era curlers in their hair uh-huh Houses on stilts?
4: Houses on stilts, a lot of people with, with different African braided hair.
0: People named Godfrey?
4: Uh-huh. <laughs> Godfrey, Kensington.
0: Kensington. You meet little boys <laughs> named Godfrey and Kensington. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's incredible, because you got that English influence, right? It was, a, it was a British colony?
4: Yeah, it was a British colony for a couple hundred years.
0: And you go to Belize, the capital city right now, it's a humble little place. The ca- or not the capital, the main city, I guess. And they've got, a. Uh, it looks like a... Um, uh, grocery store sign that's up in the middle of the square. It says, Belize, independent since September 21, 1981. Yeah. yeah. Wow. It's a youngster. It's a youngster. Hey, we got some people on the line right now and uh, we'll uh, see what they're thinking about Belize. We got Nastasha. Natasha in Indianapolis. Natasha, are you there? Yeah, hi. Thanks for your call.
4: All right. Hi, Natasha.
1: Oh, hey, Josh. I actually just bought your book a few days ago. Excellent. So I'm happy with that.
0: Are you going to Billy's? Uh,
1: well, we're in the planning stages right now.
0: And what questions do you have for Josh?
1: I had a question about health. I read on the thorn tree about bot fly. Mm-hmm. And I was wondering, how do you know whether or not you've been infected with the botfly? fly? Uh,
4: in, in all my time there, I never met anyone who actually, who actually had it. It's not something I would worry about unless you, you plan to spend a lot of time Way deep in the bush. Oh, okay. Um,
0: what is bot fly?
4: It's, it's one of those nasty little, you know, it makes for a good travel story, I'm sure, but one of those flies that, uh, you know, lays an egg under your skin and then that develops into a, into a larva that eventually works its way out of your skin.
0: So, Joshua, you'd never met anybody, any traveler that had it? I did not. No. Natasha, I think that's good news. Yeah. All right, yeah. What else is on your mind before your trip, Natasha?
1: My other question was about the water. I read in one book that said the water out of the tap was perfectly drinkable, but then I've read other places that said, no, 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 don't you dare drink that water out of the tap.
4: Yeah, it's, uh, you know, like other places, most, like other places in Central America, most of the main towns and cities have treated water. But if you're only going to be there for a week or two, you might as well play it safe and and drink bottled water. Okay. Uh, The one exception is in Placencia, the Placencia Peninsula has a, a, a very good artesian well system, and oh. the water is totally fine to drink there.
1: Hmm. Okay. And my other concern with that is with bottled water, do they have recycling facilities? or? They do not. Oh.
4: Uh, so I definitely encourage people to bring your own water bottle, okay. you know, fill it up from, from the main water in your hotel. Uh, I hate seeing, seeing people who go through, you know, I've seen people go through three or four bottles a day. Right,
0: right. Uh, you mean just throwing away the plastic?
4: Yeah, 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 and solid solid waste disposal is one of the most, if not the most, even the biggest environmental uh, problem in Belize. Yeah. So,
0: so hotels have uh, processed water that tourists can use.
4: Yeah, most of them have those big five-gallon jugs of it in oh, their lobbies. That's, um, yeah, pre- so you'll find,
0: that's pretty standard. So you'd refill okay. your bottle that way. Thanks for your call, Natasha. Yeah, thanks. Good luck on your trip.
4: Thank yeah, you have a great trip.
2: Thank you.
0: Natasha mentioned the Thorn Tree. That's the Lonely Planet uh, uh, website where you can go and talk to other travelers who are thinking about a trip to Belize. I'm talking with Josh Berman, who is the author of the Moon Handbook to Belize. Josh, when I was in Belize with my wife, we uh, had a rental car. We drove in from Yucatan, which I thought was a great idea. Mm-hmm. And uh, we were exploring in the middle of nowhere and it was just this lush jun- jungle scene and suddenly our car just coasted to a stop and <laughs> something happened and we thought, here we are in the middle of nowhere. All of a sudden, I can hear all those butterflies, and those uh, <laughs> different, uh, you know, exotic animals. And there was, I hadn't seen a car for half an hour. And then around the corner came a big truck. A guy stepped out and he said, my name's Gabriel, like the angel and I'm here to help you. And and he had all the tools we needed. He fixed us up, and we were on our way. But it's just these wonderful people experiences I've had in Belize, and uh, I just think it's uh, an endearing uh, little country. It really is. We've got Cheryl on the line in Seattle, and she's got a question about crime in Belize City. Cheryl, are you there?
5: Hi. Actually, I just wanted to also um, advertise a little bit. I have been there several times that the non-ocean... Tourism and the um, bird watching and the uh, eco lodges that have really uh, been blossoming in numerous parts of the country, mm-hmm. as
0: opposed to going out to the islands, right? Right. Yeah, I, I think that's so important. I, I I think the real culture. I mean, of course, you can. I, awesome snorkeling, and on the cover of Josh's book there's this incredible colorful reef and people scuba diving and that's a a reason to go to Belize but people are missing the cultural tide pool that's high and dry uh, if they can just uh, enjoy the towns on the mainland
5: and even not so much the towns but the ruins that are found in pretty much pristine condition because they haven't had the money to uh, totally restore them to see them in kind of their natural condition and how the people are slowly working to uh, to um unearth them is is i found more intriguing than some other types of Mayan areas i've been to that are, have been completely uh, unearthed.
0: Yeah, i remember standing on top of one excavated uh, pre-columbian ruin and looking out over this carpet of lush jungle and seeing just bumps in the in the kind of in the distance and those were other temples that had yet to be excavated. Just still covered with with lush uh uh foliage.
4: Yeah, which is great. It really it it uh lets your imagination run with that, wondering what's what's under those and, and as they excavate those, I mean they're making they're making new discoveries every day still. So it's it's exciting to go see those places.
0: That's great. Hey, um thank you very much for your call, Cheryl. Any other questions?
5: Well, actually I do have one last question. Um yep. on Mountain Pine Ridge, I had been reading numerous stories that the um pine beetle had taken out some 80% of the, of the of the pine, and I was wondering if that's true and um, what the situation is up there.
4: Yeah, the, the pine bark beetle uh, definitely took a big bite uh, in 2000, and what happened was it was compounded by a three-year drought that, that really opened the trees up to the beetle, and also the fact that the trees were, were very uniform because they had been logged uh, a couple 50 years before and it, it was it was very devastating uh, but the the good news is the trees are really coming back nicely you know it, it'll be a while before they have a full canopy like they used to It'll be about uh, maybe another 10 or 15 years uh, but they really are coming back uh, nicely uh, I was just there in the mountain pine ridge last week uh, and you it's exciting to see it because you see all these saplings that are coming up and, they, mm. and then all these dead trunks in the middle of them And there's still in that area is really unique as well because you can there's some trails where you can hike and you can have pine forest on your right and broadleaf rainforest on your left, Um, just incredibly diverse area. But yeah, there the trees are coming back. The area is still gorgeous. We have one of the highest uh, elevation points in Belize, and some amazing places to stay there.
0: All right, Cheryl, thanks for your call. You're welcome. Okay, happy travels. Hey, um, I'm talking with Joshua Berman who writes the Moon Handbook to Belize and he also writes the Moon Handbook to Nicaragua I think which would be another conversation, Joshua but right now we've got some emails from some of our listeners and let's just go through these quite quickly and see what your uh, response is to their questions. Don from Lafayette in California called and said uh, is Belize City full of crime? Are tourists taking uh, taken advantage of? What are your um, adv- What's your advice for just common sense from a, a petty theft and crime point of view? Uh,
4: like... Like any other area, it's it's pretty easy to avoid the areas where there's crime. And there are some pockets of Belize City where where crime has risen, where uh, Belizeans who have been to the U.S. Have, have brought some of the gang culture back with them to these corners of the city, uh-huh. uh, which is the same problem that's that's happening in Honduras. So and you're Salvador. saying
0: with common sense, if you just steer clear of places, that would feel exactly right?
4: Um, I would not steer clear of, of Belize City totally. There are still—it is a fascinating place. It's a little yeah. bit gritty. Uh, yeah. but there's, there's some great things to see there.
0: I loved Belize City. Uh, English-speaking, uh, can you? is there much of a language barrier for travelers in Belize?
4: No, there's not. Okay. Uh, there, are, there are eight different languages spoken throughout Belize, but nearly everybody speaks, speaks English. And so. as
0: a tourist, you probably encounter people who speak English.
4: Yeah, yeah, absolutely.
0: Jessica from Puyallup in Washington called and asked about, uh, is Belize safe for women to travel alone in? What advice would you have in that regard?
4: It absolutely is. That's a question that comes up on a lot of the police forums a lot of times. Uh-huh. And it's 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 definitely safe. It's definitely you know, it's the same thing. You use your use common sense like you would in any city in the United States or anywhere else.
0: You know, uh Debbie from Dallas called and she said three women had a fabulous time. English only was fine, they enjoyed the archaeology, beautiful beaches and hill country. Uh, CJ from Charlottesburg, Virginia, said, "Is it okay to bring children three to seven years old? Uh, any advice on how to enjoy your time with them?"
4: Yeah, absolutely. It's uh, a lot of a lot of the resorts and hotels down there have uh, packages for families. Uh, if you're going down with your family, and you can rent a car and get around. There's some places uh, that have programs for the kids. Uh, the Belize Zoo is a fantastic place to go. There's some really easy trails. The kids will love the you know the ruins. It's it's like a it's like a playground. You know, you're you're climbing up and down these oh yeah these it's, pyramids.
0: And, it's kind of like a, a a wild, a fantasy Disney kind of ride, but for real.
4: Yeah, yeah, exactly. Not not to mention the islands and
0: Vince called us, our emailed us from Philadelphia. He wonders is it best to take a tour or explore the jungle on your own if you wanted to get out into the into the thick of it. Yeah,
4: you all know, depends on your own personal style. I definitely recommend you know, whether you're on your own or with a group. I definitely recommend hiring a local guide wherever you are. Yeah.
0: Uh, Elise called from San Elselmo in California, and she said the local tour guide David Simpson from San Ignacio gives visitors a taste of authentic Belize: cave tour, canoe to dinner, rustic overnight stay in the jungle, and to go to Tikal. So uh, I don't know if you know David Simpson, but I would imagine there are good local guides that are small-time operators that would be listed in your guidebook or the local tourist offices or whatever. Uh, any Here advice are. there?
4: David's one of many locally famous, uh, locally famous guides who really, really know their way around the bush. There. So,
0: so you know this guy.
4: Yeah, yeah.
0: Great. And uh, Beth from Houston uh, uh, asked, uh, is it all buggy and hot? And that was my experience, too. Boy, it was buggy when I was there. What do you do about the bugs?
4: Uh, well, it, that all depends on the time of year and, and how much breeze is up. You know, sometimes the sand flies can pick up on out on the islands and the beach. Last week, uh, there were no bugs because uh, the trade winds were up. So they just they kept things nice and breezy.
0: Well, you're lucky for your honeymoon.
4: Yeah, we sure were. Yeah. Um, if there are bugs, you know, whatever, uh, the, the best way is just to cover up. Wear some light, long sleeve and long pants.
0: Okay, so there's ways around that. Hey, uh, I'm talking with Joshua Berman, who writes the Moon Handbook to Belize. Joshua, a lot of people have Tikal on their mind, the one of the most uh, uh, sought-after pre-Columbian uh, sites, and it's actually in Guatemala, but I imagine there's easy access from Belize. How reasonable is it to side-trip into Guatemala to see Tikal from Belize?
4: It's really easy to do, Rick. There's actually a, a brand new uh, air service where you can actually just fly right out to the city of Flores in Guatemala from Belize City. Uh, it's also it's it's only a couple hour drive from the western part of Belize, so a lot of people who go up and stay in the Cayo area uh, make a day trip out of that.
0: And getting into Guatemala is no problem?
4: Nope.
0: Cross nope. the border, just flash your passport?
4: Yeah, you got to pay a, a fee to leave Belize. I believe it's $20 now.
0: Gorillas aren't going to get you?
4: Nope. No, no it used to be there used to be some unrest in, in Guatemala. They have actually now have a new police force called Politor, which is specifically designed to protect tourists in, in those popular sites.
0: Beth from uh, Houston emailed us, and she said she's been visiting Belize for 20 years, and her favorite place is Banyan Bay. Can you tell me anything about Banyan Bay?
4: Banyan Bay is a, uh, it's a great resort on the island of Ambergers Key.
0: So that's a key. That's one of the uh, Red Sea first world sort of uh, destination resorts for people to come down and snorkel.
4: Yeah, and Berger's Key is uh, that's that's what Madonna called La Isla Bonita in her famous song there, and that's that's definitely the swankiest uh, huh. little corner of, of tourism in Belize.
0: All right, and you know I found it was so handy to be touring Yucatan, and I just side-tripped into Belize from there with my car that I rented in Merida. Uh, what are your thoughts if somebody's going to Cancun or Tulum or something like that, and they want a side trip into Belize? Uh, does that work?
4: Yeah, and it's a real popular thing to do because the airfares to Cancun are so much cheaper than to Belize City. Uh, So people do that. There is one, at least one car rental agency that lets you drive your car over the border into Belize. Um, Some people do that. Some people take the buses and they make a loop trip uh, from Cancun down through Belize and up through Guatemala back to Cancun.
0: So do you have to be careful from the car rental companies? Some of them in Mexico will not let you drive into Belize?
4: That's correct. And... In my book, I def, I've got a couple pointed out that, that will let you do it and all the, the hoops you got to jump through to, to bring the car across the border.
0: Okay, and the last thing I want to cover with Joshua Berman here, the Moon Handbook author of the Belize Guide, is a little bit about the snorkeling and uh, the islands. What are the what are your tips if you really want to get the most enjoyable experience out on those islands, which I would imagine tend to be more touristic and more expensive?
4: Well, the some of them are. Some of the places are. But there's I mean, there's over 200 islands in Belize. You know, they usually call them keys down there. And if you have the time and, and you can really get out there and literally be the only people on the island, you know, or there's places where there's only one resort on the entire place. Wow. So there's a lot of different ways to do it. There's some really expensive ways to do it, and there's some, some budget ways to do it as well.
0: Wow. And you've spent four months last year updating this guidebook uh, to Belize, and uh, it's just the size of Massachusetts with a quarter of a million people.
4: Yeah, and I still didn't get to see everything that there is to see, so I'm excited to update the next edition.
0: Belize. Joshua Berman, author of The Moon Handbook to Belize, thanks so much for being part of our show and introducing us to a country that you certainly, uh, understandably, are passionate about. Thank you, Rick. Talk to you again soon. Thanks. All right. Take care. Modern Europeans skip easily over now-gone borders. Coming up, a friend tells us how he moved from Scotland to make a new home in northern Italy. Why? Because he loves the Alps. It's next on Travel with Rick Steves.
3: (laughs) ¶¶
0: I'm Rick Steves, and this is Travel with Rick Steves, and right now we're visiting with a friend of mine and a fellow tour guide, Don White. Don is originally from Scotland. He grew up in Scotland, uh, studied European history and the history of art at Edinburgh University. Then he uh, became a European, basically. He worked in the ski resorts of the Alps. He taught English in Berlin, and right now he's living in Italy. He's been living there since 1989, and he's been a tour guide for 20 years, more or less. And Don today is visiting us to give us an idea of what it's like to live in North Italy and what it's like to be a, a European in this day when Europe is coming together. Thanks for
3: being with us, Don. I'm very glad to be here, and it's uh, wonderful to be here. Now, you're a Scotsman. Mm-hmm.
0: You've got a nice Scottish accent. And you ended up in Northern Italy, and you've lived there for 20, 15 years or something.
3: Yeah, it was a, a kind of a, a slow southern going process because when I, you know, most people, when they, they graduate from a Scottish university, they move to London. And that's what I did. And you go and you look for a job and you're doing survival work, which I did. I was working kind of backstage in theaters, which was great fun, but... um Didn't really pay the bills very well, (laughs) and uh, London is one of my favorite cities. But it's the kind of city that you need to have funds to enjoy. It's not a a place that you survive in very easily. But
0: you're sort of born and bred in Northern Europe, where Mm -hmm. there's a different sort of tempo of life, and Mm you ended up in Mediterranean Europe. Exactly. How do you characterize the
3: differences, and why did you end up in the South if you're supposed to be in the North? (laughs) (laughs) It started when I I, first of all, when I kind of ventured across the Channel to live. I went to live in Berlin. um, I was involved in a relationship there and uh, moved there. And uh, I was also working at that time as a tour guide, which meant that my summers were spent traveling around Europe and I spent the winters in Berlin. Now, the winter is not the time to spend in Berlin. <laughs> well, that's true. You're a tour guide, so your summers are on the road. It's exactly, the winter. Exactly, yeah. See, winter, and that, that I smell-y. thought to myself, you know, there's something here not just Exactly right. Uh, I I then moved down towards Switzerland. I was working in the Bernese Oberland in in ski resorts. Then I moved into Italy. I worked in Livigno in Italy. Now, this is and like, you know, in the
0: United States, we have these snowbirds and everybody yeah, from Minnesota yeah. goes down to Florida and everybody from Seattle goes down to uh, Southern California or whatever. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. I suppose that's the same in Europe. You've got Scandinavians and Scottish people oh, and yes. Belgians yeah. that head for the sun yeah. in the winter.
3: Yes. Uh, and not only young people. I mean, now elderly people retiring to, you know, they're building their homes in the south of France and Spain and Italy. Uh, there's a lot more migration than there used to be, and now but, with the
0: European uh, Union, I mean, you're a European. Yes, uh, you can cross borders, you can buy land, you can work.
3: I can, I can um, do anything basically that a Italian can do, apart from I can't elect the Italian government. Oh, is that right? Yeah, I can elect the local government, and you can elect the European, and I can government. elect the European government, right. and I could elect the Prime Minister of Great Britain. Except that my mother wrote the government said I don't live here anymore because she knows that I wouldn't vote for who she votes. Oh really? <laughs> yeah, so. And you can you can say you had nothing to do with Berlusconi. I had nothing to do with Berlusconi. <laughs> okay, I see why you brought that up.
0: Now, with the European, to me, this European Constitution is, is quite a remarkable document. But the Europeans I talk to, they're kind of um, just nonplussed about it. It's, what's the deal?
3: No, I I think that. Um, People have good more sent about, sentiment about it. The Italians are always very much for everything European. They want to be part of Europe. They want Europe to exist.
0: Why do you think that is?
3: I think because of probably recent history as well. They'd like to see a strong Europe. They'd like to to avoid war. Yeah.
0: I mean, it's expensive and, uh, <laughs> to blow up your entire continent every 50 years.
3: It is. That's not a good idea. And I think that, uh, and because of the divisions also of the war in Italy, which almost became a civil war as well, I think that uh, with the last 50 years of Italian politics, would you know who to trust to vote for? No. So let's have some European who's well, kind that, of... That shines a different light on it. Yeah, because Italy's had like
0: 50 governments since World One War II. Yeah. One yeah. a year, One a <laughs> year. So maybe well, they'll get a little more stability and sanity if they yeah, have a they European
3: government. I think government. there's a kind of a thought that, you know, the, the be somebody out there who can, who can give more stability. Now, when them. I
0: read the European Constitution, it just seems like the hippies are in power. I mean, you've got environmentalism, you've got collaboration, you've got no war. I, I mean, it's an amazing thing, really. Is this actually for real? Are, are people embracing these kind of ideals?
3: Uh, well, it's a, I think it's a, a period of change as people maybe realized what happened after the war in Italy. You know, a lot of after things World after even. World War II, There's so many things went on in the 80s with the, the terrorism that nobody really knew who to blame for it. Um, a lot of ideas are emerging now, and uh, young people in particular maybe don't know so much of what way they're heading. The, the establishment is always the establishment. There will always be the church party. There will always be the established thought. But there's a lot of young people in Italy who are who are anti-global. If you're anti-global, global, what are you pro? <laughs> well, that, that, Are that, you pro Europe then? Not necessarily. No, 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 no. no. Now in Europe
0: there is different loyalties. You live in Lombardy, is that right? Yeah. So uh, this is the northern part of uh, north of Milano in mm-hmm, Italy, mm-hmm. and e- people in your town could be Lombards, they could be Italians,
3: or they could be Europeans. There's a very, uh, very much a central European flavor to the people of Lake Como, let's say, or to Lombardy in general. Um, so this is a part of Europe that would be enthusiastic, and that's probably
0: because Europe is a, a big supporter of, of uh, regions rather than yes, nations, and yes. Lombard is a, is a disadvantaged region. I mean, they don't get all their opportunities. It's a very like rich
3: region. I mean, that's the thing. They have got money there. There's a, a lot of money. in. And the Europe North is Italy. an
0: advantage for them.
3: Absolutely, yes. yes, yes. Consequently,
0: they, they're going to be fans of Europe.
3: Yes. Uh-huh.
0: All over Europe, the, the regions now are waving their flags with a little more gusto.
3: I think so. Of course, the, then you come into the big uh, antagonism between north and south. You've got the Lega Lombarda, which, is, as you know, wants to kind of break away from the south of
0: Italy. But now breaking away from the south of Italy doesn't really matter that much because Italy is going to wither away and it's going to be Europe and a uh, bunch of regions. Yeah, I mean, be. regions actually get represented at the table in, in Brussels, I believe.
3: Well, that, you know, brings, that brings me back to my background from Scotland as well because there, you know, if you, if you ever tell a Scotsman or Welshman that they're English... Bad news. Yeah, yeah. Expect gunshots. <laughs> really. But now, for the first <laughs> but, time since know,
0: 1711, I think from the first time the Scottish Parliament is back in Edinburgh, right? Yes, exactly. Now, what? So this is
3: regionalization again. So, to what you do know, we attribute you can, this? Well, I think because uh, when I grew up, you know, we were brought up as being Scottish, but we were part of Britain. We were part of the and British London Empire. And London wanted to keep that Scottish uh, enthusiasm down a bit. I think. Well, yes, they wanted to maintain power in Parliament, and I think the Scots were always afraid of branching out too much. In their own. But branching out as part of Europe, you know, took the the, the edge off it. It was safer to... So Scotland really
0: no longer uh, um, threatens London. No. no so, I don't think so Scotland, sure, you can have your parliament. <laughs> Here, have a parliament, <laughs> sing your songs. I don't
3: care, speak Celtic. <laughs> <laughs> you know, there are traditions which are genuine, which are felt, but it's mostly military. It's mostly to do with the army. Because the military tradition in Scotland mm. is... I think England almost placated the Scots by yes. giving them
0: opportunities yeah. to die for
3: the Queen. Oh, yes, uh, the major regiments, Black Watch, etc., you know, the, big, the Highland so did, regiments. Did Scotland die at a higher level than English people in the wars or anything uh, like that? It was a great honor. <laughs> a great honor, right. Okay, let's go back to, let's go,
0: you know, you live in Lake Como, and this is the north of Italy, mm-hmm. and uh, the big question for a lot of travelers is all of these glorious lakes in northern Italy, it's like all oh, the romance and everything of the uh, the me- Mediterranean ports, but without all of the chaos and so on because yeah. it's the farther north exactly. zone. Exactly. The uh, freshwater river. Viera. Mm-hmm. but there's all these different lakes, mm-hmm. uh, Lake uh, Como, Lake Garda, mm-hmm. Lake Lugano, Maggiore. Maggiore. Uh, and the big question for a lot of travelers is, which lake do I visit? What, what's your take on that?
3: Well, I've I traveled around quite a bit. And when I came, when I moved out of Milan, when I first lived in North Italy, I was living in Milan. And then I made a conscious decision to get out of the city because I didn't need to live in the city center. But I didn't want to leave all the friends I'd made in the the city centre, so I wanted to go someplace near. And the obvious place was either to go down to the Ligurian coast or to go to the lakes. Of the three, Garda would perhaps be the three big ones. Garda would be the best one in terms of situation, a little bit further south, nicer climate, uh, more facilities, very much in the way of water sports. So if you're active, if you want to do, you know, water skiing, if you want to go out to clubs. If you like hanging out with German windsurfers. Well, <laughs> there are a few Italian windsurfers. Well. I, I found the place overrun with German windsurfers. It wind is, surfers. yeah, it is. Lake Garda. It, is yes, okay. uh, it is, but I'm, I'm thinking of position as well. You know, if, if you were to live, say, Sirmione, which is a beautiful place, yeah. you've got Verona, you've got Mantova, you've got Venice, you know, okay. you're really right in the center This is of the Italy. biggest lake uh, close to Venice, really. Yeah, it's yeah, halfway yeah. between Venice and the yeah, It's land. the biggest of the lakes as well. It's very close to Verona.
0: Well. What about Maggiore? Luvano, or Maggiore, Maggiore
3: yeah. uh, is beautiful, but I find it rather sleepy. I huh. find it's got a very peaceful, calm atmosphere, but I go to sleep there. Lake Maggiore. <laughs> it's kind of like Lake Superior, literally. It's Lake <laughs> yeah, Maggiore, the Lago big lake. Maggiore. It's the big lake, yeah. But for me, Como is the most dramatic.
0: Well, if you want to sit in a musty old villa from mm. the 19th century and write poems and have bougainville all around you and and, and have a nice glass of wine with uh, old wealth, mm-hmm. I, I just mm-hmm. find this a 19th century charm, a, a romantic ambience Absolutely. on Lake Como. Absolutely. The problem is a lot of the lake is is uh, gated because there's so many rich villas along the lake.
3: <laughs> you can't always get to the, la- the lake shore, but... It, the central part of the lake, once you get further up, uh, Bellagio, Menaggio, Varenna, where I live, you, you only have to go up the hills behind the roads a couple of miles. You will come to 10 little towns which are completely nothing to do, it seems, with uh, the lakeside ambience, but they've got these stunning views. Huh. They've got uh, nobody living there in big villas. They've got property just, you know, waiting to be renovated. (laughs) Now, I'm talking to Donald White, by the way. He's a tour guide who is from Scotland and he
0: lives in northern Italy in Verena. A little town. (laughs) Now, what's nice about this is you're one hour from Milano. Yeah. And everybody flies into Milano, but you don't have to deal with a big city for jet lag. Hop on the train... It's delightful. One hour later, you step off, and you got this magical Riviera village ambience on a freshwater lake Mm -hmm. where Italy is welded to the
3: Alps. Absolutely, and and certainly in terms of the views of the mountains, in terms of the the variety of climate, of uh, vegetation as well, you go to a southern-facing slope, you're going through olive groves, you're going through lemons even, um, Mediterranean plants, whereas you go around the mountain to the other side and you're in fir trees the penetrating the plants will not grow and that happens within you know a space of a couple of miles
0: wonderful pastel ambience in this little village and then a 10 minute little ferry hop and you're in Bellagio yep quite a fancy mm-hmm. resort
3: well, it used to be more fancy when the czars were there. So the, was the choice of the aristocracy, <laughs> but and the it's still royalty. got that uh, that ambience, certainly that it is a more sophisticated. And then another ten-minute
0: boat ride, you're in Managgio, yep. and if you want to smuggle cigarettes into Switzerland, that was the place to go Absolutely. in the old days. Absolutely, a lot of uh, cigarette smuggling going on. There's a there. lot of
3: smuggling of other kinds of things to smoke from Lugano nowadays. Where. It's legal. but Is that right? uh, Oh, yes. But
0: tell me about that, the, the marijuana laws in Switzerland uh, and Italy.
3: Well, in, in Switzerland, it um, they, became very, very easy to get. I'm not sure if it was completely legal, but it was uh, something which, you know, the Swiss who – they smoke a lot of cigarettes as well. Mm-hmm. They're high <laughs> – big smokers. But they're definitely the places you could go and uh, quite freely purchase, you know, without breaking the law. Right, I think of course, you couldn't Swiss, bring it back into Italy, Safe, <laughs> legally or legally. safely. But
0: I, I think the Swiss are among those countries that believe it's uh, you can, you got to make a choice: tolerate yeah. different lifestyles or build more prisons. Yeah, yeah and yeah. Uh, they're quite they're quite progressive on. Uh, Um, Recreational uh, drug use. Although I was talking to somebody in Switzerland last year, and they said every spring they crack down on marijuana because they don't want to develop a reputation as being easy on marijuana.
3: Well, that that would be the big problem because all the the travelers, Swiss. Yeah. So so they crack down,
0: and then by the fall it's all lax again. Yeah, 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 yeah. It's quite interesting. Now you are a ski bum, is that
3: right? Well, I was very much when I was younger, yes. I mean, I, I, I took a long time getting through university because I kept on going off to ski in the Alps for the winter. <laughs> uh, now, in, uh, a
0: lot of Americans really wonder what it's like to go skiing in Europe. Is it all apres ski and is it all the resort kind of thing? Or is you it know, actually good from a slopes and snow point of view?
3: It, it's like any other part of Italy, any other part of Europe. It is so varied, you can have an absolute blast in the alps no matter what your skiing is no matter what your palate is no matter what you want to do the level of money you want to spend the level of uh, class you want to have huh. or just really chill out and wow now there's, there's so now many there's different places you lot You've got to know yeah. where
0: to go think about it you got French. you got chamonix mm-hmm. you got switzerland mm-hmm. and zermatt and, mm-hmm. and, uh, and saint moritz mm-hmm. you got austria mm-hmm. you got slovenia that's and the then so, if and you, you were got to Italy, just Italy, Alberto, Italy, you have
3: got everything. I mean, we're going to host the next Winter Olympics, Turin. Is that right? Yeah. In Turin, yeah. Now, now so I just year.
0: love the Dolomites of northern wow, Italy. Wow, that is how do you pronounce t- it? Dolomite? Dolomiti, right. Dolomiti,
3: And I've heard that uh, the cheap destination for skiing is the Slovenia, and got Slovenia now is excellent. Uh, they've got also wonderful ski resorts, which are also spas, hot water springs and skiing. Oh, By okay. next time you're up in uh, Varenne you've got to come up to Borneo as well and go to the, the baths there. Yeah. They've got natural hot water springs there up in Borneo. So that's making, a wonderful... You're talking like that's a routine thing. You mix the natural hot water springs with the skiing yeah, in Europe. Yeah, 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 And there's nothing nicer after a day skiing than just to go into these hot water pools out of oh. the open. You know, with the stars and this crispy air and the nice. snow. Now, you've spent
0: probably 20 years skiing in the Alps, I would imagine. More or less, yeah. It and kind of got...
3: slowed down when I broke my leg, but never mind. Okay, well, let's, <laughs> let's
0: ignore that part. But you got Switzerland, France, Austria, Italy, Slovenia. Uh, just tell me for a few minutes your, your thoughts on the different uh, flavors of those ski resorts.
3: Well, I think that if you're looking for the traditional... Classic, beautiful mountain scenery, then Switzerland, you really have Mm. difficulty beating. You know, Berner Oberland is my home. I spent two winters in Muren. I spent one in Bengen. Mm. I skied every day. Uh, You know, it was just. Just so people know, this is the
0: the two valleys south of Interlaken, near Bern. South of Interlaken, my favorite uh, summer destination Gimmelwald, Grindelwald, Mm. Schiltorn, Jungfrau, all of that. I bought one ticket that covered all the valleys, that whole area. I I skied for days and never did. The same slope
3: mm-hmm. twice, and you know, if you want to do, if you want to really get uh, value out of ski tickets, why not go to the Dolomites and get the Dolomiti Super Ski Pass, and you can ski for days, days, and cover miles and miles of terrain. You can go to so many different resorts, uh, and you know, you could combine that with wonderful. What is vacation. that? Is it a pass for the whole region? It's a pass covers the whole region um, for like oh, uh, the Milky Way. Month a it's week. called. It just goes on and on and on forever. You can buy it for a week. and Buy it for a month. I think week is minimum actually. Probably five right. days is minimum. But you know, I'm I'm thinking of somebody maybe coming from the states and wanting to come on a different winter vacation. Maybe wanting to do some sightseeing but get some skiing in it as well. Well, you could take the Dolomiti Super Ski Pass. Ski a lot of the northern Italy terrain. Go off to Venice for the day, go to Verona, maybe go up to Innsbruck, Munich, Salzburg, they're all within the same area.
0: Everything is quite close, uh, isn't it? It's a wonderful amazing. winter vacation. Now, how's the snow? Is it global warming and so on affecting eh. the skiing?
3: Uh, we have good years, we have bad years. They've got excellent snowmaking equipment, now, Really? So they make snow? Yes. Isn't this, oh, yes. isn't this
0: yes. a sad thing? Now It's going to be standard operating uh. procedures <laughs> to make your snow.
3: Well, I, I think that you have to do it because, you know, the hotel rooms need to be able to provide snow for people sure. to ski on, so… oh, well, I was, uh, just, in, I was
0: just in Switzerland this last yeah. Christmas and they were all stressed out because the snow hadn't come yet. Yeah. and there were, People were canceling out. It, was, it,
3: it wasn't a good year.
0: A lot of people have seen a lot of crowds in the summer yeah. in the Alps, but boy, it's more crowded mm-hmm. in the winter. You you go on those gondolas in the summer for hiking, notice they're all scratched up by ski uh, poles and, and skis. They're Absolutely. packed with skiers in the yeah. winter.
3: Well, you can head also to the eastern end of the Alps, for example, in Austria, where the mountains aren't so high, but they've got much more grassy cover, so they don't need so much snow to 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 be able to ski well. Whereas... The western end, you know, when you've got big rocks, you've got to cover that rock before you can ski in it. <laughs> is
0: the snow in Europe icier? I've heard it's yes. often icier. Uh,
3: you don't get the really light powder like the powder Hans enjoy in the States. Yeah. But uh, if you like moguls, if you like peace skiing, if you like... If you like, uh, like what kind of skiing? Peace skiing. What is that? Uh, on a prepared piece where they're sort of flattened down and prepared and I kept uh, in good condition. He's not drinking skiing. <laughs> no. <laughs> what about uh, this notorious Europeans' inability to stand in a civilized line? Oh yes, they can't do that. Still,
0: nah. even with some the countries European are better unions, than others. So
3: they, no, I don't think that they're going to solve that. So reason. people just, You've jostle, just got They to jostle. Take right into that the, uh, as as part of your day, but you know you ski, we, we learn to ski sensibly, like you ski over lunchtime when people go and take their lunch and then you have lunch later, you, you avoid the crowds and you, you have a very nice day skiing. Is there night skiing <laughs> in, in, in Europe? They do also in some places do night skiing. I don't yeah. think it's
0: quite as prevalent as in America. No. Because it's no, more not.
3: of an apri-ski focus. But we have apri-ski. Now there are some resorts, you know, that you, you go for the apri-ski. I mean, we go for the ambience, uh, Cortina d'Ampezzo, wonderful town with wonderful restaurants. I mean, they've got Michelin-starred restaurants on the slopes, so you 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 can spend your day just going from... One restaurant to the other. One so you ski from one to restaurant other. to the other, yes. and that's about it. Call it ski. Well, some people, you know, I don't think they even actually ski too much. Well, they put on the designer ski suit and they put the skis in the car and they drive up to the restaurant and they have their lunch and then they sit out in the sun and then they put the skis in the car and they go back to.
0: That's a French term, Après ski.
3: Après ski, yeah. That means that. Uh... Uh,
0: is, is it also in Italian?
3: Uh, yes, I think they talk about Après as well in Italy. So yes. so it's French become shirt. international. All right.
0: Hey, Donald White, you got me thinking about a ski trip to Europe. Thank you so that's much great. for your. Uh, for your, your fun insight and happy travels. Thank you. Travel with Rick Steves is produced by Tim
4: Tatton at Europe Through the Back Door in Edmonds, Washington. There's more online in the radio section at ricksteves.com where you can look up information on this and other programs in this
0: series. Join us next time as we travel with Rick Steves. Travel with Rick Steves is brought to you by American Airlines. With their new Advantage Award booking tool, it's easier than ever to book to over 800 Advantage Award destinations online at aa.com. American Airlines knows why you fly.